This is the one with a baked potato planet. Sneaky Latin. Doctor Diplomacy. And Greyhound 40. His name was Ross! <laughs> <laughs> it's called The Poison Sky. Here we go! We're still on our endless voyage, all through time and all through space. With Levine and angels now, Dalek, Cyber, Zandu, wow. Ben and Smith and Eccleston, Gallifrey, it all began. Doctor Who is cool again, that was Russell's master plan. Who back when? Reviewing all new Who there is. Who back when? Subscribe and rate on iTunes, please. Rose and Donna, Amy Pond, Rory, Martha and beyond. Join us on this odyssey, what other choice could there be than Who back when? Who back when? Hello, ladies and gentlemen of Podcast Land, and welcome to episode N047 of Who Back When? A Doctor Who podcast. Or Docpast. Oh. I am Ponkin. Yes, I am. And with me in the Ponkin Enterprises studio tonight is Drew. Hello, Hello. Drew. Hello. How are you doing? I'm fine, thanks. A little spacey. A little spacey? Yeah, I'm essentially managing expectations for this episode. <laughs> I, I am... <laughs> I'm a bit wibbly-wobbly, so let's see how it goes. Well, spacey and wibbly-wobbly sound ideal for a Doctor <laughs> Who podcast. Today we are having a look at The Poison Sky, and we were just saying right before pressing record, it's been pretty much a month since we sat down in this very same room to record our review of The Sontaran Experiment? The Sontaran Stratagem. Stratagem. Or that's Stratagem, if you're Nick. <laughs> that's right. See, that's how long it's been. I'd already forgotten the title. But this is now part two of a two-parter, so finally, as opposed to the last time, we get some closure. Yeah, I can shift back in my seat from that uncomfortable edge, and I can stop hanging from the cliff and finally pull myself up. <laughs> well done, good for you. <laughs> Shall we jump into a bite-sized chunk of who? Well, let's, otherwise no one will know what's going on. Time for us to synopsize, clarify and summarize, so take a view, and grab a brief, and listen to this overview, this free-for-all, we like to call a bite-sized chunk of who. Bite-sized chunk of who? Martha's back again. Again! And now there are two of her, as the weird Bartine clone is keeping a side-eye on the Doctor, as he does his best to foil the Sontaran plan for world domination, while keeping a trigger-happy unit in check. Donna, meanwhile, is trapped in the TARDIS, and the TARDIS is trapped aboard General Stahl's spaceship, whence Stahl, his clone buddies, and not Mark Zuckerberg, witness the potatoification of planet Earth. And Wolf is in peril! Also the world. Be scow over, you are welcome. Aren't you just? So I have a, not a question to start us off, but... but you always start off with a question. I know, but I have a comment regarding the question that I started part one with. I'm sure you remember. <laughs> <laughs> I started part one off by asking you if you had seen Moonraker, because I found not Mark Zuckerberg's plan very reminiscent of the plan of Hugo Drax in Moonraker, and in this one, maybe you found this as well. When he failed to pull a Hugo Drax, he instead pulled a Jaws from Moonraker. Oh. Right? I suppose so. Isn't that exactly what happened? He's like, oh, I'm going to be Hugo Drax. Oh, fuck, I was double-crossed. I'll be Jaws from the same movie. Yeah, I can still pull it off one way or the other. Exactly. I need my Moonraker closure. Wow. Okay. Right? Yeah. 
it must be a, a source of inspiration. <laughs> Possibly. That's anyway, cool. I that, that was, that's it. I've got nothing else. Well, and you were entirely <laughs> right about your postulation, if that's the right word, all the way through yes. the episode about, yes, all he wants to do is move to a new planet. Colonize it. it. Yeah, call it Planet Bone Zone. Yeah, he's, brought, he's bringing one lady. Well, there are two oh, ladies. Oh, two? Oh, two ladies. one had a speaking role. Oh, right. Oh, sorry. Yes, you're right. So, two ladies. One was a white lady and one was a subcontinental lady. So, you know, diversity box ticked. <laughs> <laughs> There'll be some future racism on that planet. Don't worry. We'll bring it with us. Okay, so two ladies and how many dudes? Oh, a plethora, a myriad of dudes. (laughs) (laughs) So how are they going to solve this? I mean, either he has some sort of technological solution for the problem of repopulation, or based on her her reaction, the speaking part's reaction, he does not. And he's actually thinking, well, these 30 guys are just going to have one massive bukake on on one of these girls, and then whatever the outcome is, that's the next generation of Planet 2. That's it. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, when you said, what's his solution? The word that flashed through my mind was lube. (laughs) You know, it's best not to think about what sick, twisted fantasy Luke Ratigan has dreamed up for Earth 2.0. Yeah. Oh, well. Right, so... Where do you want to start off? (laughs) Well, in medias res, of course. Okay, go for it. Because Gribbins is still in that car, and at the end of last episode, you may remember, I, or perhaps it was you, and I'm just wishing I'd said what you said, said, why doesn't someone apply some blunt force trauma to this car and rescue our beloved Gribbins? I thought it was fantastic that in the last episode, people did apply blunt force trauma, but it had no effect. People were punching! What's her face? And the doctor were punching the... Donna, I mean. Were punching the car. They were trying to break the window. Yeah, and failed. The doctor was nowhere near the car. The doctor was off posing halfway down the road, thinking, I bet I look amazing against this backdrop of smoke. Yeah, I'm not even going to think about using my magic stick to cause <laughs> vibrations that will break the glass, by the way. I just thought of that. Yeah. Ah, uh, dude, you know that the glass is Atmos double deadlocked. Oh, of course. Yeah. 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 Anyway, so yeah, Donna's mum saves the day. Yeah, with a hatchet job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what a hack. Sorry. She had an axe to grind. (laughs) Very nice. Well, I've got a question. I'm going to axe it. So, no, that was terrible. All right. (laughs) I'm I'm sorry. Okay. Oh, you haven't got a question? No, no, I mean, I've got got tons of notes, but I have. (laughs) (laughs) Did you want to take that Wilf note any further? Uh, He just goes back inside and ineffectually starts sealing up bits of the house, apart from that pesky draft under the door, which later on he's like, I should have put a towel here, shouldn't I? As they're choking to death. Too late now. (laughs) Still still he tries. How did I miss this? (laughs) Slight zombie movie vibes as he's insulating the house. Yeah? I thought so. Yeah. I mean, that's where my note ends. I got Night of the Living Dead vibes, as in they're in this little cottage, they're barricading themselves inside. Yeah. They could have probably done a bit more with the claustrophobia aspect, couldn't they? But I suppose we don't have time to dwell on it. True. Although we had plenty of time for two newsreaders to give identical messages. Yeah. One of them is the US news anchor who has appeared on uh, New Who before, on Mm. a number of occasions. She is like the, oh, look, the US is also engaged in this activity <laughs> representative. Yeah. You know? Except except we put ever such a slightly different slant on it because we're Bible bashing nutcases. <laughs> <laughs> pretty much it. Like there's a strong millenarian strand. Yes, we're doing everything the UK's doing, but it's because God is vengeful. <laughs> <laughs> More at nine. 
Yeah, and I think the British one was Kirsty Walk, wasn't it? Oh, I didn't recognise the British one. So I think she's an actual news anchor. Oh, right. It wasn't your George Alagaya or your Hugh Edwards. So they must all work in the same newsroom. So it's it's like, give me a go. Yeah, that's true. It must be like that. Professional rivalry. Same network, different cities though. It is still being recorded in uh, Cardiff, isn't it? Well, I mean, surely they just use the newsroom. Oh, fuck. Why did I not think of that? <laughs> we need a newsroom set. Stats. Where are we going to find one at this hour? Well, the US one is always like, it looks like the newsreader from um, Birdemic. I mean, it looks terrible. <laughs> Why can't they do a better job of that? Exactly, because that's not the one trotted out before the cameras. Those are just props. That's, that's just made out of sellotape and sawdust. <laughs> that doesn't make sense. <laughs> As opposed to the BBC newsroom, which is made out of foie gras and Italian marble. Instead of table legs, it's like Fortnum and Mason's chutney jars stacked on each other. <laughs> I had a good Christmas podcast, Len. <laughs> Well, I bet we just sounded terrifically English to uh, our friends overseas. <laughs> <laughs> Can I, I love it. That's why they're watching this whole thing, isn't it? This is brand Britain. It is. We are essentially brand Britain ambassadors years after the event. <laughs> I suppose so. I'm not sure if we're quite as quaint as the doctor, but hang on, dude, Meister, I've got a question for you mm-hmm. to take this in a different direction. We have units. Once again. Yes, the Unified International Intelligence... (laughs) (laughs) Whatever, one of those two. And they come with an app. Effectively, we have the nuclear arm codes, but in Tinder format, whereby you only have two options, yes or no. (laughs) Swipe left for destroy the entire Earth, or possibly, you know, destroy the alien threat, or swipe right for... Status quo. Not really my type. <laughs> that was, I think, a little bit pants. Are you sure that wasn't just the Sontarans? I mean, I don't know where they got the hacker tech from, but just their way of tapping into a much less binary system. Oh, I don't know. Okay, so you also have an equally simplistic security barrier preventing you from accessing security systems, similar to what we saw in Aliens in London, the Raxacorico-Falipatorian one. Ah, okay. Also double feature, whereby I think that was Torchwood only had one single word, all lowercase, (laughs) which kept people outside of all of Torchwood. Oh, so I see. And in this case, you have the NATO defense system, which has a one-password access. So Martha goes tap, 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 and it goes, badass security clearance level accepted. (laughs) Exactly. She's straight in. (laughs) I can't remember what the password was in the first one. Torchwood had something like bulldog. Or, I can't remember what it was now. It wasn't Bulldog. I think I guessed that it was Bulldog incorrectly the last time as well. But, yeah, it was just one word. And in this case, it was also like, oh, enter password here. Not even a username. Like, enter password. In. Right, now I'm... Sometimes you have to make a Control of North Korean nuclear missiles. If the nukes are heading in your direction, you haven't got time to fanny about with (laughs) usernames and... (laughs) And nuclear keys and launch codes. And sending an extra message to your phone and then tapping the six-digit code (laughs) in as well to get in. Because you're dead by then. And the eastern (laughs) seaboard is pulverized. It's washed into the sea, which is radioactive. 
active now. <laughs> uh, yes, I guess. Yeah, I mean, this is mutually assured destruction, man. You, you've got your side of the bargain to uphold. What are they going to think? I mean, how the Russians would look down on us if we didn't counter-strike. Which reminds me, so Russia is on the list of countries whose nuclear weapons are controlled by the NATO defense system. Yeah, as is North Korea, isn't as it? As is North Korea, yeah, which is quite interesting. But on top of that, this has come up in, I think, a new who review that we've done as well. In fact, it may have been the same Rexacorico, yada, yada, yada one. You sure it wasn't Girl in the Fireplace? Nick, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that UNIT suddenly controls everyone's nuclear arsenal. And this apparently... JD will be cringing right now because he's the one who corrected me at one point or who told me about this at one point. I've sadly <laughs> forgotten about it. Right. But there is a classic Who episode in which, if I'm not mistaken, I'm sorry, Podcast Land, if I'm wrong, if I am wrong, by the way, pop a comment on whobackone.com, this episode's page. Yeah, yeah. Grant, if you're listening. Yeah, that's what you want to do. <laughs> or Facebook. So there's a classic Who serial in which units either takes custody of or is given custody of everyone's nuclear arsenal as a consequence of being regarded the most respectable, dependable, etc., etc. And if I'm not mistaken, they get it from the US. Like, the US has everyone's launch code, and they just give them, like, here, here's a Tinder app, and now, you know, oh, fuck it. I'm not looking bewildered and bemused by your description of this scenario. Yeah. But the scenario itself just sounds just... I mean, it's a lovely thing to think that actually all our nation states are just constructs and we're all being controlled See, by the same single global Illuminati and there's actually nothing to worry about. With literally a yes or no question. Yeah. Determining yeah. all our fates. Here's what I think is actually the case. I'm not remembering this correctly. I'm sort of ransacking my memory and trying to decipher some kind of reason therein. JD, it, if you're listening. <laughs> UNIT is part of the UN. The UN has its seats in the US. Uh, That's how I think the transfer of launch codes is taken from the US to the UK. Yes, that happens, because everything in Doctor Who happens in the basement of a big building. In London. And so the big unit <laughs> building, in the big UN building in New York, in the basement will be the nuclear codes. That's probably exactly it. Yeah. Yeah. Story checks out. Anyway, so that's that. All of that from a Tinder app. That was my little note. Anyway. <laughs> my um, note was Martha's doing naughty things with a memory stick. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Oh, oh. oh, yes. Yes, well, this is how this whole thing got started. And she sent the thing upstairs to the Sontarans. Oh, yeah, that's right. Although they don't really do anything with it. So I have trouble fitting completely legally downloaded software onto a memory stick, let alone <laughs> the entire world's military, whatever, strategies and software and everything. Ah, uh, dude, but remember, this stuff was all it's developed... It's a Sontaran USB stick. No, this stuff was all developed in the 60s and 70s. So everything is so well programmed, it comes to like a few kilobytes max. <laughs> yeah, it used to have to fit on five and a quarter inch floppy disks. You're right. Yeah, no, you're completely right. Yes, I am. But yeah, she does get very naughty with it. So she has the USB, she gets everything on the USB, and then somehow she uploads it to the Sontarans. They now know exactly what they're up to. Is that how they know about the fact that they're going nuclear? Oh. Mm. Or do they have some sort of scanner? Oh, because she's the operative, they probably can hear and see most of what she can, right? Maybe she's got her phone constantly recording. Okay. Y and so they can hear Colonel Mace going, what he goes. This phone, the Tinder app, pisses me off. 
So I get that she's a spy. And what I said in the last episode, by the way, didn't track. It didn't pan out. She actually has a role. The clone has a role. Yeah, side-eye. That's her role. Yeah. But surely if she can use a USB stick, a human USB stick, to steal data... So that she can use a, as per your theory, a Sontar and Tinder app to then transfer the data, or sorry, to control the data. Why can't they just do it from upstairs, from space? Why do they need a clone who is literally in front of everyone swiping left or right? Um, why, why not have something on that USB stick, for example, that fits into the computer to hack the computer? I can't keep up with you, man. You, you've outstripped me. Why can the Sontarans <laughs> not control... Why can they not swipe left or right from space? That's, oh, that's the basic version. Well, I mean, you can't leave that to the Sontarans, can you? Because they would just click yes every time. Although in that case, why is no. there operative clicking? No. Well, I'm, I'm only saying that because they love a war. They oh, Yeah, but-, but it seems as though they would actually be destroyed by these nuclear weapons. The Doctor, I think, is wrong. Oh, he, you think? Yeah, I think he's wrong, because otherwise they wouldn't care, right? Maybe it's because, and sorry, Buggers Land, it took us ten minutes to remember this, don't they need to not launch the nukes for the sake of the atmosphere which is being seeded with clone dust? Oh, I guess that does make sense. Because it that chain reaction, otherwise, and it'll all be toast. See, I don't know if potato. they say that in the episode. I think, if nothing else, that's a really good rewrite. <laughs> no, like, I, th- I think that's actually... Really? I think the Doctor does uh, side-mouth that out at some point, yeah. Really? Yeah. I'm going to give that to them. Oh, okay. I'd give it to them as well. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Mm. Give us a talking point, buddy. Oh, my first note was how a thrill little Mark Zuckerberg Rattigan was, that he was finally witnessing a war. Because as an American... Oh, you're right. ...living in Britain, <laughs> these have been very rare and hard to come by. And there was no way that he could have got involved in one. He's just thrilled. It's not on the news every night. <laughs> I mean... Whatever, I suppose he's quite singular, that one. Yeah, sorry, just before any member of Podcast Land who is based across the pond decides to write in to say that you're a racist or that you're, you know, anti-American, let's just make it clear that you married an American and that you have nothing against their lovely states. No, I'm I'm anti... well, oh man, even if I say anti-war, people will be like, there are justified wars. Yeah. But, yeah, I'm not picking on anyone, real politique is what it is, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> right, so... Go for it. Yes, what else have we got? Oh, yes, I liked... Oh, I can think of what... In oh, this huh? episode... Yeah. Doc and Donna... Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. ...element of their chemistry. Hmm. Several times in this episode, the Doctor does things that, with another companion, would make them weak at the knees and they'd squeal, whereas Donna reacts completely differently to the norm. The first one is when he gives her the key. Yeah. And... Instead of her jumping up and down and clapping her hands and feeling ever so privileged, she's just like, <coughs> all right, I'll wank you off later, all right? Once we're out of the smoke. And then later on... When they're reunited, you mean? Or when she's on space and he's giving her advice. and You've nailed them, both. Where he says, that's brilliant! And she goes, all right, it's not working on me, sunshine. And, oh, and then yeah. at the very end, when you have her reaction to his surviving, yeah. paired precisely with Martha's, where she immediately grabs hold of him and she punches him first, or slaps <laughs> him or something, like, you daft bastard. So, I liked all of those. Yeah, I think I liked all of those as well. However, there are some bits in the middle in this one, unfortunately, where I was reminded of why I dislike her. Oh, 
really? Yeah, and, and, uh, but it's just the acting. It's it's just the execution of it. The character, the fact that she... And by the way, I loved the execution of that finale when they are reunited. I also quite liked it when she was following his advice and hitting the Suntaran and in the back of the head with the malice and, and all that stuff. I quite liked that. But there is a bit when she's on the phone with Wilf and she starts crying. Right. Where I've, my note is, I spied this, by the way, with my little eye as you were talking about how wonderful Donna is and, and how she gets you really nice and hard. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, and she gets Rattigan nice and hard. Oh, yes. So you saw him devour her with his eyes. Oh, my goodness, yes. <laughs> she walked by, wow. But, I mean, that's, that's because... Cans. Cans. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I was gesticulating and you verbalized. Well done. <laughs> so what I spied was my note that is Donna acts as though for children and annoyingly she probably got a standing ovation on set for crying. Yeah. I hated that scene. Oh, I, she, I, I just didn't believe it at all. She has cried more in this series. Than anyone! Than I, well, yeah, and definitely anyone. than I thought she would. Yeah. She mm. cries as often as Tennant clenches his teeth. Do you know what, though? I think we can excuse... Maybe, I know lots of stuff. Because she's talking to Cribbins. Yeah. And he's acting his gentlemanly avuncular heart out on the other end of the line those tears are probably real they probably just edited them badly because in the script it was like just look quite sad and cribbins brought from the very depths of her being like she's actually just expressing she's just having an emotional reaction to the sheer wonderment of witnessing a man a gentleman <laughs> being able to convey such persona and grace as bernard cribbins and by the way there are bits in this episode where Cribbins is not doing a great acting job in the traditional sense of the word. <laughs> yeah. but, but he's still so incredibly charming as he does so. Okay, okay. Where are these imperfections of Cribbins? Oh. We'll come back to Donna. Uh, see, I, I didn't make a note of specific lines, but what does spring to mind are almost all of the bits where he defends Donna in front of as in to her mum, where it's like, oh, no, let her go. Oh, you go with the doctor. Go with the doctor. Yeah, the wonderful doctor. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, those bits, I mean, they're sweet. Let's say that. They're sweet. But they're not, yeah. I agree. Yeah, his charm got him through those. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I hate to make this comparison, but from the trailer of the upcoming season with Capaldi, we have David Suchet. Yes. And Suchet is... Dave to his friends is uh, <laughs> the Dave Meister the Dave Meister Suchet no that doesn't work David Suchet is not just an incredibly charismatic man an incredibly intellectual man he is also a marvelous actor you know an actor par excellence he is he is an actor he is an actor's actor yes yes he is but does he have the same charm as Cribbins. I'm not sure he does. I mean, I'm looking forward to... I don't mean charm the way that he charmed an audience as Poirot or, you know, but I'm... Is he as grandfatherly? I hate to say this because he probably has grandkids. <laughs> I don't know. I know what you mean, though. He's... There's a certain um, wariness. I mean, David Suchet has a slightly enigmatic presence. Bernard yeah. Cribbins is completely open and therefore he's instantly likable. Yeah. He's like, there is no disingenuousness. Is, I wonder if that's strong a word maybe it, okay, but. maybe that's it. And now I feel like I'm I'm about to, to critique Bernard Cribbins a little bit. I mean, not Cribbins, but his character, Wilf. Yeah. Wilf is... And obviously, as we haven't seen David Suchet on Doctor Who yet, we're basically comparing him to Poirot. Yeah. But whereas Poirot, super clever and charismatic, if you were to meet him, you'd be like, wow, 
we could sit here for quite some time, and I, I would love to get to know this man. I would like to learn more about him. Yeah. Whereas Cribbins, it's like, I already know everything there is to know about this guy, and I love it all. Yeah, exactly. You know? Poirot, David Suchet, the camera regards him with admiration. Yeah. And it looks up to him. Well, that's but, not to say that the camera looks down on Cribbins. No, 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 but like, the camera looks exactly level with Cribbins. Cribbins stares into the camera's face, and you feel like you've known him all your life. Yeah. Because he's every man. There's no distance or separation separation there whereas I'm, I'm serious about this I really yeah. think this this gets to the heart of why Cribbins could be everyone's grandfather join us next week on Jacking Off Bernie yeah <laughs> <laughs> with special guest Bernie Sanders <laughs> oh my god we could have that podcast by the way different Bernie for every episode we just give them an HJ <laughs> oh man <laughs> oh dear so we were going to come back to Donna oh right yes because I could compliment compliment your <laughs> criticism of her acting right. with the scene where her doctor and Martha are in the oh for a second there you you actually looked and sounded like comic book guy from The Simpsons sorry <laughs> no no please carry on uh, correcting I, me I gained 20 <laughs> stone <laughs> worst comparison ever <laughs> sorry carry on <laughs> I'm complimenting you I'm agreeing with you yeah okay so, fuck you. <laughs> okay, sorry. I, I'm fucking agreeing with you, you bastard. <laughs> Dude, when they're in the teleport and Donna, the doctor says his line and it's like Donna forgets that her line is next and so there's a good beat and a half before she goes, we're not going back on that ship, are we? And it just stopped the scene or perhaps even the episode mm. dead at that point. There was some real amateur hour dramatics in this one. Yes, I agree with you. But similarly, that scene... This is the same scene, right? Where he's about to go up to the spaceship. Um, no, I don't think it is, because um, no. they're okay. in Rattigan's company at that point. Right. This is when the clone has just died. Oh, oh, right. And okay. Donna has just... No, he rescued Donna, and now they're about to rescue the TARDIS. Right. Okay. So I was going to bring up the scene where he is about to sacrifice himself. Yeah, yeah. Wherein I felt... I mean, I was going to say she does a better acting job than he does. I, I'm not sure I agree with myself. I think they both do a great acting job. However, I found her character more believable in that scene than Tennant's character, than the Doctor. It's like when he goes, you know, because I have to give them a choice. They need to be able to choose freedom and peace and everything and life. Even though as Sontarans, they assuredly 100% won't. And he knows that they won't. He is just looking for attention. Yeah, their genetics <laughs> dictate. They demand that they will blow up the Earth. Yeah. Ugh. So in that scene, I couldn't relate to him at all. Right. But I found her reaction very relatable and very believable, and the execution of it was very good. The acting was very good. Yeah. Uh, so, overall, mixed bag. Yeah, I guess so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fine. God damn it. Just to finish off Donna, okay. so to speak, uh -huh, uh -huh. she had a lot more traditional companion sort of activities to do in this one. She yeah, was she did. in peril, and she had to have the doctor order her around. You said you didn't mind her going about that, and that was all right for you. I think, I think she did a pretty good job of it in this one, yeah. I mean, compare this to when they were on the Oud planet, or the planet of the Oud, if you will, and she was just following him around as well, or occasionally she was trying to do her own shtick, but I mean, she was just hot on his heels, right? Yeah. yeah. And she was incredibly annoying throughout. 
She was terrible, absolutely dreadful. And the scenes where she felt sorry for the ood, or the scenes where she felt sorry for the brain, they were all shit. No, I'm no, 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 I, no, no, no. I did not think that she was good. If you go back and listen to that episode, yeah. I think you say that she does a good job in the cage when she actually cries. Oh, do I say yeah, that? Yeah, I think you said that. Oh, God, I hope this is another case of you being <laughs> wrong about what I've said before. Right, I'm going <laughs> to... Like before, <laughs> we will see this. I've put down a marker. Yeah. I, I'm going to find this tonight. <laughs> <laughs> okay, brilliant. Hopefully I'll just laugh. Entirely different note about that scene. You'll be pleased to hear, I thought Donna did incredibly well. I thought it was quite compelling when she got to hear the music. Mm-hmm. Yeah, her reaction to it and her desire to shut it out because it was simply too much for her to bear. I thought that was very well done. But yeah, anyway, so she has done a similar thing. Forget about the cage then, regardless okay, okay. of what I said about the cage at the time. Consider when she's walking around in the snow with him, or you know w- when she wolf whistles, all those bits. Compare yes. that to her now. Maybe she's matured as a character, as a companion, or possibly maybe the writing's just better. I mean, at some point, it wasn't her idea, probably, to act as a complete buffoon and uh, an idiot. Do you know the point that I have led you into making? In this one, she is much more a template companion. She's got much less sort of individual duality in this episode that ah. when they tried to I mean it was ham-fisted the way they made her go oh yeah I, I'm West Ham down the football way that's a character yeah. trait but in this episode there's none of that okay. so essentially she's just vanilla companion and now you're all for it you know what I'm gonna half agree with you but I'm gonna put a different spin on it okay alright <laughs> this is so exciting counter 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 <laughs> so I much prefer the individualists among the companions and that's something, surely, that is that must be, not having seen all of Classic Who, that must be a trait more common to New Who than Classic Who. One assumes. Or I assume, anyway. What, you mean it's more likely in Classic Who that To have the template just, companion. It's just a woman in peril. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Companion in distress. Uh, Slightly different clothes in this series, because yeah. she's from a different time. Exactly. But I dislike <laughs> the Donna character <laughs> at this moment in time. At this moment in time. Who knows, maybe in a few weeks' time I'll see something else of hers and I'll go, oh my god, I've completely changed my mind. But at this point in time, I dislike the Donna character so much that, yes, you may be right, I may prefer template Donna (laughs) (laughs) to individualist Donna. Lifeless, hollow Donna. Yes. It's your dream companion. Yeah. Just a vehicle for the Doctor's will. Yeah. Yeah. Just someone to express what he can't because he is, at that point in time, geographically elsewhere. Yeah, sucked out, subjugated Donna. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) Completely submissive. (laughs) Okay, Okay, well, take Martha. Take Martha, then. So most of Martha in this one is clone Martha. Oh, actual Martha. Clone Martha. Yeah, but when we had, oh, this is who Martha is right now in part one of this double feature... Wasn't she just utter garbage? (laughs) You definitely (laughs) took massive exception to that. (laughs) How dare you have a personality? (laughs) How dare you have that personality? Well, yes. I have nothing against people, individual people. (laughs) I just have something against lots of them. (laughs) (laughs) Because you're a discerning chap and you have standards. (laughs) Okay. 
Okay, we've done Donna to death. I think we have. Can I make a comment that will lead you to uh, your diatribe? Certainly. At one point in my notes, I have written, Ah, Drew gets a countdown. And then I've written, And another one. (laughs) Well, it's the same one, isn't it? From 60. And she reads it out for as long as possible. 59, 58. Guess what's next? 57. You can't guess. It's the same countdown? Yeah. Oh, my God. But it, it goes through, and now there's probably a play on how fast different countries broadband is and now america's <laughs> online and now france and then a few more seconds go by and now russia and then at the very end north korea and we're still going five four three two one swipe right right so yes it's the same oh um, wait oh is is that what's happening holy shit oh well i've misremembered this in that case i thought that the swipe right thing or swipe left was halting the countdown yes it did because if martha had let it go to zero and hadn't tapped no then that was when the newts were going oh right oh i sorry no no okay now i see okay wow so yes Mm, i don't know what it is (laughs) what is it about you and countdowns not about doctor who and countdowns what is it about you and countdowns well I have a mind for numbers, and so they stand out for me. And so perhaps it's just number overload. Or, oh, but if it. they are an e- you know an ever decreasing string of them, well, no, it's because in Doctor Who they're typically an increasing string. Like we get countdowns from sixty in this one. There's two hundred, maybe last week. Oh, think, you mean I, the, I the actual are... starting point gets higher and higher? Yeah, I think there might be two countdowns. In... No, there wasn't another countdown last week. It must have been Ood. What my essential beef is, yeah. is that countdowns, all countdowns are just the same device on different scales. And so there's, there's no dramatic tension to be gleaned from having one every single week. And at the end of it, the bad thing never happens. So how can anyone be tense at this point when one begins? It just transmutes into rage. <laughs> <laughs> Did I diatribe enough for you? What is your favourite countdown and what is your least favourite countdown my, so far? My favorite, that we've reviewed. Favorite that we've gone, count- gone oh, so not Richard Whiteley. Um, Wait, okay. Richard Whiteley? There's a show, Countdown. On oh, right. No! <laughs> the one where I figured out the conundrum, that was my favourite. Um, and I hate the one with Jimmy Carr. Uh, <laughs> You're not alone. <laughs> my favourite... Ca- I, I don't think there is one. You know, it's it's all just been subsumed by just generalised... What about surreptitious countdowns like the depth meter or something when they're descending to the Satan pit? Or the... Uh, no, that one drove me crazy, don't you remember? Because the numbers didn't go up in a linear fashion. Oh, oh yes! Oh, God! <laughs> See, numbers, they stick in He's my He's turning head. green and tearing off his clothes, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> tearing off my clothes. I'm down to five pieces. Four. <laughs> Sock goes. That's three. Pants off. That's two. <laughs> He's just wearing a sock. And a hat. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, do what you will, <laughs> podcast land. <laughs> so, yes, I think I'm spent on that one. Nice one. On the topic of companions, we get a flash of rose. Uh, 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 uh. Yes, we do. Mm. According to Todd's Wikia, this was not planned. They had a cameo, a rose cameo in whatever it was quite where, recently. Where Donna says, I've left the, car, left keys, the keys in a bin. My mom. Yeah, yeah, underneath the bag of dog turds. To pick up her car. So. I don't know you, but here are the keys to my mum's car. <laughs> yeah. Partners in crime. Oh, well done. Well done. <laughs> yes, it was. According to TARDIS Wikia, that cameo was met with such lord. It was so talked about and buzzed around by the Whovian community that they decided to, <laughs> in post-production 
plop in a clip of Billy Piper from an entirely different recording, an entirely different episode of Doctor Who. So okay. up, the, up the ante a little bit. And it was good. It was... I thought it was great. Yeah, it was very arresting. It, it was. It just makes you... Well, I mean, it keeps you watching till the end of the series. Just yeah, you know that something's on. coming up. Oh, it's going to be exciting. I mean, I've already sort of voiced my displeasure with Clone Martha, who was the better Martha last week and this week when she was supposed to be clever. And she did sort of have more of a role, but just communicated by looking askance or looking around or turning slowly every single time yeah and then at the very end when clone martha is about to die yes when they really ham fist some emotional value to her like oh god but you have your whole life i have your memories and yada yada all of a sudden this death means something and martha has to go no the centaurans just used you and and it's a tragedy when anyone dies. Oh, you know my main note for that, oh, that scene is, my heart is getting slower. There's nothing I can do, says the former doctor in Spain, now <laughs> seconded as a proper doctor to units. <laughs> oh, I forgot that she's a doctor. Yeah, I who's, completely who's been, forgot about it. That's how unbelievable it is. A doctor who's been briefed on the latest clone technology and its limitations. And now she definitely can't save her just by looking at her. I mean... Oh, wow. Uh, and theoretically, the clone should know as well. She should just be able to go, look, fetch me a defibrillator and do this and, you know, yes, open be- my flaps. Yes, because she's got the <laughs> memories. Oh, my goodness. And, well, I mean, if Martha really cared, she'd hop back into the Franken device. And yeah, she I'd- doesn't care. No. No. Not at all. And Martha doesn't care. Donna doesn't care. Donna arrives at the scene and she's like, there's two of them. And the doctor goes, ah, long story. I, you don't need to worry about it. There's a dead version of Martha <laughs> on the floor. Yeah, right in front of you. You don't ask any supplementary no. questions. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> this is just the life I've chosen for myself now. <laughs> <laughs> These are the kind of people I choose to surround myself with. <laughs> yeah i mean in that scene we haven't followed the episode chronologically but the episode is really plummeting fast at this point (laughs) it was it was because everything that happened had to be at the service of predictable story beats like you had to have the scene as you say the poignant emotional death scene yeah even though you don't give a shit about no you don't give a shit so why was it written in was it written in because the audience expects it or because it's just such a stereotype was it some sort of was it a replicant reference? Was it like a Blade Runner thing? Oh, the clones can't live forever. They're somehow... no. That's, that's really good analogy. Because the equivalent of... in The replicants going like, you are, I've seen the, whatever, the firestorms above whatever, yeah, Centauri. W- and there are firestorms in this episode, in the sky. Oh, shit. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. So, I mean, so I think this is a, a bit of a reach. But, I, no, <laughs> but, I but the, right. the equivalent of that is Clone Martha going, I remember exactly everything you've ever done and hence i know the adventures that you will go on and adventures that are so much greater than me slumped on the floor in the basement about to die yeah maybe it wasn't an explicit parallel in the writer's minds but you bringing up the blade runner example shows what could have been done the heights that could have been reached how this scene actually made sense because the fact is that the writers must have thought we need to have this scene in it yeah regardless of what comes before it or after it and so one that's writer, why it one doesn't writer. work well I don't think it's ever a completely individual effort no no there were probably redrafts and yeah yeah so I'm not gonna attribute this entirely to Helen Rayner but I thought she did a good job by the way 
Yeah. Yeah. All this nonsense aside, I thought she did a good job. And maybe that's because I'm comparing it to Daleks in Manhattan. Possibly. One positive I had halfway through this episode was, okay, I was spacey today and I didn't know half of what was going on. But they were still talking about a mystery halfway through the second episode. Like I didn't, I haven't fully put it together that it was just going to be a massive clone planet of some. Oh, I see that. And maybe that was obvious. And it was quite daring of them to say, "No human can figure out our secret plan." (laughs) (laughs) Because perhaps half the audience come up. Do they actually say that? What does it matter? What does it matter? When that came up, I just immediately thought all they need is a planet that they can gas. They're going to change the atmosphere of anybody in space. Why this one? Like, why not just choose literally any other place? Yeah. And just terraform it. Because that's sort of what you're going to do anyway. I don't know, maybe because humans have uniquely primitive weaponry. I don't. Fun. Fun. Yeah. On that note. This is too easy. They're running like slime bait from a spiel fox. Yes! (laughs) Oh! What? (laughs) Exactly. And then after that, a line that is simply perplexing. Because that wasn't perplexing (laughs) enough. (laughs) No, because that was just the, oh, I don't know what this trope is called, but I bet you, you can find this in so many iterations in so many different science fiction films. The, uh, an alien race has pretty much the exact same concepts that we have, but they call them different things. So, rather than just talk about a fox hunt or whatever this is a spiel fox and uh, you know but the next line not the next line but a subsequent line is perplexing to me and it is this this is a quarter this is sport hmm but they are warriors and they want a challenge so is he saying this is sports because it's really easy but in that case it isn't sports because there's no challenge <laughs> And they are a warrior race. They are not there for sport. Yeah. He should be going, what the fuck? This is no fun at all because I want them to fight back. Yes, this is as pointless as Halvey Swansea in late October. <laughs> I mean, it's like, <laughs> yes, as a warrior race, they should look down on sport and they should have no time for sport or concept of sports. And also, this is not sense. what sport is. This is, I mean, what they are doing is not cricket. You know, they are preventing... It's just not cricket. It really isn't cricket. They are preventing the enemy soldiers from even being able to fire bullets. They're increasing the size of the bullet, right? Or whatever it was. Well, I suppose then that's quite similar to a fox hunt, isn't it? The fox has got no way of fighting back. It's hilariously overpowered. Maybe I guess they're it just is a bit running, sadistic like It's that. exactly like running slime babe from a spiel fox. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. What but, a perfect analogy. <laughs> I mean, okay, those items of shit writing aside, what I was getting to about half an hour ago was yeah. that the last two-parter, it was just so predictable from about minute one. Yeah. What oh, was going to happen. But in this one, they did keep me in suspense for much longer, and I was agreeing with you that this was a much better writing achievement. I think so. I think that is the case. Shall we jump in with a couple more sound bites, just for funsies? Let's. Okay, so 2440, David Tennant sneaks in a sneaky, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry, I swear, I'm so sorry, but you've got to try. Does it? I didn't know it. Yeah, 24 minutes and 40 seconds in. Prove it to me. Oh, Mark, I'm so sorry. There you go, now you've heard it twice. (laughs) (laughs) It's those words, but it's not with the standard intonation. I'm sorry, I'm I'm so, so, so sorry. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> Another tenant soundbite, 2640. What do you think, Doctor? Are you my mummy? 
if you could concentrate. And this is something that came up in, oh, what was it? Oh, yes, it was a late addition to the minis from Dr. Z in um, the War Games. Okay. The last one, uh, the last classic that we reviewed, Troughton's final one, in which there are people wearing gas masks. And Dr. Zed pointed out, hello, Dr. Zed, uh, she pointed out that, oh, there's a parallel. Are you my mummy? In this one, I feel, and I mentioned this in that episode as well, I feel like David Tennant, or the writing for David Tennant, proves that it is now impossible to have gas masks on Doctor Who without referring to the whatever they were called. I can't remember what they were called. Hang on, I shall consult the Vindex. I love how you pretended not to remember just so you could plug the website. <laughs> I'm that is professionalism. I'm going to find it, I'm going to find it. The nano jeans. And he found it so quickly because the Vindex is so intuitively laid out. Even though I haven't updated it in a while, I admit, but I will. I will, I promise. <laughs> yeah, go to Who Back When for all your visual index needs. But yeah, now... In the time post nanogenes, we cannot have gas masks without referring to them because we even get a soundbite of tenants who says, Are you my mummy? And I tell you what, without you explaining it to me, that line made zero sense. And I just had to write it off as an obvious reference or just completely random. <laughs> but wait, hang on. You know the reference, right? I haven't seen any classic. This is a new reference. This oh, is the thing. So this, do you remember the kids with, or actually not just kids, but all the people who had gas masks like fused onto their crania? Okay. And the kid, or actually all of them kept going like, are you my mummy? Okay. How about the fog? The fog? Yeah, the fog. Because there's a lot of fog in this one. Yeah. And it goes up, I mean, there's a count up, in fact, which I hadn't put together. <laughs> oh, no, no, I hate the fog. <laughs> Where it's like, it's at 60%. Now it's at 66%. It was going to get to mm. 80%. Oh, man. Yeah, so you're right. Oh, dear. But I'm okay fog. with that. The mum, she opens the window. It's about standard level UK foggy out there. It's probably <laughs> foggier than that now. <laughs> And, and and then there's another point where they're standing outside Rattigan Academy. And soundbite this, Donna says... It's London. You can't even see it. Is this the bit where they are probably in Hampstead Heath looking down upon London and yes, you, yes. suddenly you know that Rattigan Academy from the music video from Total Eclipse of Art yeah, yeah. is actually in Hampstead Heath? Yes. Or on Hampstead Heath. But it's not that. It's the fact that Donna says what she says. It's London. You can't even see it. And you, you can, can see never. all of it. <laughs> no, in that shot, you can see, you can see the gherkin. You can see all the landmarks. You can see the London Eye. But haven't they, the haven't they CGI'd a bunch of, what CGI? Haven't they just after affected a bunch of fog over all of it? They haven't. They haven't? They haven't. She says, oh, it's I don't London. remember this. You can't even see it. And it is there, clear as day. They forgot to order in the fog machines. <laughs> or, Add the CGI. It's just bizarre. It's a bizarre five <laughs> seconds. This episode was a bit... I'd not noticed that. That is hilarious. They really needed to... Let's watch it now. Pause it. And I just want you to see this <laughs> now. Really? Yes. Okay, we're pausing this. Yes. Okay, so screenshot of the London you can't see at all on whobackwhen.com. There was the London Eye, there was the Gherkin. <laughs> and everything in between. Every Kodak moment of London. <laughs> Just <laughs> slightly covered by, by semi-opaque smoke, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, they'd yeah. still be flying in and out of Heathrow in those conditions. It's, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> drove me mental and it was just <laughs> this episode it just needed to be a bit tighter we've had some really good professional episodes yeah this series but this one really fell on its face but wasn't it so much uh, yeah 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah, sure. How about the Sontarans then? How about the Sontarans? Really like them. I mean, yeah. with some exceptions, like the Spiel Fox bit, where I just <laughs> went, oh, I don't understand this. Yeah, I guess I feel about the Sontarans the exact same way I felt about them in part one. They are a really good foe. And I don't know if they were as good a foe in Classic Who, but they are certainly a foe that has been new Whoified well. Yeah. I mean, compare them to the Macro or something. <laughs> oh, yeah. The, no, they're really good. Just as a concept, they're great. They're a warrior race, so compare them to the Ice Warriors. Aren't they so much better than Ice Warriors? I really like Little Dave Hedgehog in this one. Sorry, Little Dave Hontaro. <laughs> General Stahl. General Stahl. He kept growing on me. <laughs> is, that a, is that a little Hontaran joke? <laughs> no, although I did like the Doctor's own take on that. But I was beginning to think at the end of the first episode that the Sontaran range was limited, but I really enjoyed the glee. Like, yeah. He, all the way to the very end of the episode. He even dies well. Yeah. Yeah. And that final showdown with the Doctor, I tell you what, I said that the episode was plummeting fast, but as soon as the Doctor said... I need to go and give them a choice. I mean, I know on one level that's bullshit, mm -hmm. but I did not see it coming. It was the first original turn in the episode for some time, and I thought, crap, there's only five minutes to go. What the hell happens now? He's up in space, <laughs> and they're about to fire on the Earth, and I couldn't see the way out. I should have been able to see the way out, because as soon as Rattigan was scorned by the Sontarans, you knew he would be their downfall. Oh, you, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. and I wasn't sure he was going to have the cojones to actually sacrifice himself. I figured maybe he's going to build an app that blows up their spaceship. Yeah. I yeah. didn't think he was going to die. It's funny, though. They gave the clone a really poignant departure scene. Yeah. But Ratskin's <laughs> gone up there and sacrificed himself for the good of the world, actually. Yeah, he saved the world. Yes, and <laughs> neither Doctor nor Donna nor Martha make any... No. Any acknowledgement at all. Well, that's because he already doomed us. This just returns us to a status quo. Yeah. Yeah, I okay. think so. <laughs> okay, how about the Doctor's racism directed towards clones? What? Where he, when he tells Clone Martha that he could smell her, he's like, oh, quite frankly, you smell. Frank, you smell. I mean, that doesn't make any sense, because she's only just got out of the bath. <laughs> <laughs> I yes, thought that was really right. weird. I got Nula vibes from that. Oh, shit. Yeah, yeah. People outside of this room won't necessarily know what that means, but yeah, oh, we once man. met a racist. <laughs> yes. Also, they really signposted things with just enormous waving flares and semaphore. Like, almost the second the Doctor and Clone Martha first interacted in this episode when something went wrong, he made an instant Sherlockian oh, deduction. It was so clear that he knew from the get-go who she was. Yeah. Or rather, who she wasn't. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, they didn't do a very good job of that. But that's fine. I didn't really mind. Okay, I only have, like, I think three more things, maybe four more things in my notes. Okay, give me one. We very recently talked about the smoke that engulfs the Earth. <laughs> okay. All right, so here's my very last note of the episode, as in the last note that I took down. Unfathomable wave of fire engulfs all of Earth, leaving air, planes, birds... And all intact. Right. Well, okay. So we can still breathe. Yeah, I think... Birds are heard chirping immediately thereafter. <laughs> Aeroplanes, you can understand, because they, they would have all landed yeah, when, when it started to get foggy. That's true. And, of course, they have internally sealed off air systems, so the pilot and the passengers aren't going to feel any effects. Oh, they probably would, because air pressures are going to change quite dramatically when fire suddenly engulfs all of no, the... No, they've, they've, they've all landed by then. 
They've okay, all fine. But birds. Safely landed. And the rest of us. Yeah, also, the Doctor goes to the trouble of putting together Rattigan's atmospheric converter technology. Yeah. Which he sort of attributes to Rattigan, but then entirely assembles himself from just bits and bobs lying around, it seems. And then... Well, yeah, he takes a a machine that was probably meant to create a breathable atmosphere on a different planet. Right, okay. And turns it into a machine that burns up the atmosphere and somehow replaces it. Well, that's it, isn't it? Because it just kicks off a fireball. Yeah. I'm surprised that he didn't just point a sonic at the smoke for a long time. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And, I mean, what do they expect us to sort of... They expect any viewer who thinks about this for two seconds to have to apologise for them not thinking through, that we have to construct how this works. Yeah. Because... If someone had set off some fireworks, then they would have kicked started the <laughs> oh my reaction. God, you're so or, right. if, or if a ship lost at sea in the fog, sent up a flare. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that is it. Maybe literally anyone would have done this. Anyone with a match could also, have solved this. Also, you said about planes surviving. Yeah. The Valiant. Oh, this is one. This is. Oh, okay. Yes. I was going to bring this up by bringing up something you said in the first part. In the re- Please do, I love that. So in part one of this double feature, you, or in our first review, you mentioned the unit engagement was so much more down-to-earth, pun intended, so much more realistic and sort of achievable by the United Kingdom. <laughs> they didn't have a giant flying aircraft carrier. They had trucks. Right? Yeah. But no, <laughs> all of a sudden, the flying aircraft carrier turns up. And not only that, but it's flame-proof. It's flame-proof. Yeah, you're right. Exactly. That's still flying around. <laughs> Except there's no oxygen left to keep it afloat or yeah. to run through its engines. I mean, that was an awful moment when the fire sort of swept across the sky just I mean, it looked like it was two feet above the top of the Valiant. Like, phew, that was a near miss. (laughs) (laughs) Except it goes through the top of the Chrysler building. As oh, well, yeah. <laughs> well, that, well, nobody <laughs> that, that had no effect. I mean, uh, no, it was terrible. I mean, I thought the fire in certain shots was beautiful. I agree. Like the visual, it was like an aurora borealis type deal, but in yeah. flames. Yes, that was beautiful. really. Lo- and, and because that could look so shit, and I've seen that look shit in so many. In most things, yeah. Like yeah. when it's used as a special effect, Sylvester it, Stallone's daily light springs to mind <laughs> <laughs> all sorts of films get it wrong and, it, and it's bad in animation it's it's bad across the board but here looked really nice it's just the science was appalling hmm. yeah agree or, or non-existent in fact <laughs> <sighs> oh, man. okay i've got oh i think i only have one that's really worth mentioning okay you and i occasionally bring up latin Yes. And Latin references. It took me a long time to figure out what this meant. Oh, okay. Yeah, Donna Nobis Pacem, or Pacem, as mm. he says. <laughs> I mean, I don't hear that in church. That is from Monty Python. <laughs> <laughs> Smack! (laughs) (laughs) I used to have that as a screensaver. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, it's Donna with one N as opposed to Donna with two Ns, isn't it? It's give us peace. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because Donna otherwise, unsurprisingly, means lady or mistress. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. I was like, oh, wait, what? Lady of the 
piece of us? What is what does this mean? Well, that's exactly that was going to be my note as well. Oh, really? Because because <laughs> I thought it was quite clever. Well, I thought it was clever, but Donna doesn't react. She doesn't immediately because put the things together, does she? you think she knows Latin? Well, no. She wolf whistles. No. And goes to fucking ice planets and cries poorly. I thought Donna did incredibly well. Oh, so so she doesn't even know he's speaking Latin. She's that stupid. It's she like just Donna and some say, gibberish. Yeah, she just hears him say Donna and look in no way discreetly at the camera. <laughs> and she goes, ah, he knows that I'm watching. Which, by the way, how does he know that she's watching? Well, I mean... Oh, actually, does the TARDIS are... just automatically tune in to the nearest TV channel? <laughs> yeah, and presumably keep her on the bridge, because she could be wandering... Anywhere. Yeah. yeah I was thinking that as well. Like, space. She could spend her entire life aboard that TARDIS and probably never get bored. Like, by herself. Because, by the way, she's probably not by herself. There are lots of people in there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he, he nearly had the master in there. Yeah, there are certainly nemeses in there. Yeah. <laughs> See, I thought I was the whole doing... Dream. I thought I was doing Donna a disservice by saying she wouldn't have been able to understand the Latin, so she would have said, what the bloody hell are you using Latin for? Come up and save me, you great pillock! <laughs> but actually, <laughs> I was, good, I was giving her too much credit. <laughs> <laughs> she didn't even know it was Latin. Well, I'm, I'm not trying to be a pretentious git, I'm just saying, like, I, I think it was really clever, both from the point of view of the Latin he uses, and from the point of view of, Oh, wait, hang on. She just needs to hear her name in order to know, all right, don't worry, he has a plan. Like, he yeah. he is aware of her. And that's all. It calms her down, because otherwise she's just going to panic and go, I don't know what to do. Oh, I can't, I can't do the voice at all. <laughs> you, you're closer than you think. Have confidence, man. <laughs> I'm going to practice. I'm going to practice. <laughs> anyway, I think that's the last more or less interesting thing that I've got. Oh, Sontaran and Sontaron. Yes. Ooh, trivia. Trivia. I'm going to read this. The straight off TARDIS Wikia, or possibly IMDb, cannot remember. Donna Noble's initial pronunciation of the name Sontaran is an in-joke referring to a disagreement in the original production of classic series Doctor Who, The Time Warrior, Part 1, where director Alan Bromley suggested the Sontaran pronunciation and was overruled by Kevin Lindsay, whoever that is who used his position as portrayer of the Sontaran Lynx, oh, that's who it is, as authority <laughs> of knowing how to pronounce the name of his species. Okay. Yeah. Cool. I, it's kind of, yeah. That's it. That's it. Yeah. I'm done. Okay. I haven't got many more notes. iPhone I mean, drop. Did the Doctor need to yell at Colonel Mace for using a military code word in its proper oh, context? Oh, yes, that is so hilarious. He was a Greyhound 40. His name was Ross. Now listen to me. I mean, I guess Tennant just, he probably went up to RTD and said, I haven't shouted for a while. Is there any way we could... It's been a whole day. Yeah. (laughs) I'm not shouting! Ross, I'm getting the jitters. I'm getting the jitters. (laughs) Yeah, so there was that, and there was a mention of the Brigadier. Yes, there was. Yes, yes, you're right. Where is he? He's in Peru. He's in Peru. Hunting Paddington. (laughs) And his kind... (laughs) Something. Wait, what? Paddington's extended family are all drug runners. <laughs> oh, I liked Back of the Neck. Oh, yes. I did like that. Was, that was pretty nice. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, good. Good Donna moment. One of my notes is Commander Score is basically talking himself hard as he shoots his way <laughs> through the opposing <laughs> army. <laughs> but then he dies just very matter-of-factly. But I suppose yeah. that is how Sontarans die, isn't it? That's what they're created for, in a way. So it sort of makes I guess 
like be, dying in an epic explosion is pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's fairly badass. Although, though, that isn't what happens. It's Colonel Mace creeps up behind it. Oh, yes. Oh, and sorry. I remember this now. Oh, that is so... I thought that was a really good scene. He has that smile and he goes, magnificent or sexy or whatever he says. Yeah, so this will get me a recurring role. <laughs> <laughs> I guess you can't splooge in this uniform. <laughs> Why do you think they brought him back as Strax? Was it because of the way he died or because they made him say the most ridiculous line and that was like hazing him? There's an introduction to the It's because they couldn't get little Dave Hedgehog? No, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I think, I mean, he does a really good job and he probably really wanted to. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah. they already know that it works. Like, he doesn't have to audition for it in any way. He's available. He's thus inclined. Yeah, why not? Bring him on board. I mean, we don't... What the fuck do you have against him, man? I don't have anything against him. We don't (laughs) actually know that isn't what he looks like. Wait, what do you mean? Well, maybe he is a potato. (laughs) So, like, well, who else are we going to (laughs) cast? It'd be pretty insulting, wouldn't it, if you were a potato and you couldn't even get a role as a Sontaran on Doctor Who? <laughs> that would be pretty terrible. But it'd have to be but a, we an have incredibly seen him. bad We have actor. seen him on the show, as we discussed in the last one. He was one of the elves. Yes. Oh, yes, of course. That yeah. was eight hours in makeup. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look like that elf. <laughs> <laughs> to de-potatify him. Yeah. <laughs> to peel him. <laughs> God, goodness. Oh, man. <laughs> Okay, I did, think, I did think that, uh, we talked about the clone scene already, but I thought Freema Eggman did an okay job of acting to thin air. Because even though oh, it was, yeah, it was hackneyed and boring, she did an alright job. I think so too. Yeah. She was more interesting in this part than in part one. Mm. Although, I wonder what she's going to be like in part three. Wait, because what? that was another thing about the end of the episode, the uptick. Like the twist, where suddenly the TARDIS takes off and she hasn't had time to leave. And now she's in the next adventure as well. Oh yeah, you're right. Oh, I see. I totally forgot about that. Yeah. Oh, I don't know if we should talk about it now or if we should save it for the next one. But I mean, we do get a glimpse of the next episode, the Doctor's daughter. Yes, one of those revealing previews. Yeah. Uh, uh. I don't remember it at all. However, watching the preview, I just went, oh, oh, oh. Oh, the endless flipping. Yes, exactly. It just looked like even lower budget Resident Evil. <laughs> oh, that's exactly what it is. Uh, maybe you should save that anyway. That observation that's, uh, for next week. Yeah, I, I might. I might repeat maybe, myself. Maybe we'll, um, yeah. Shall we jump into ratings? Yes. And now it is time to rate this. Did we love or hate this? Bing bong, bing bong. Hey, la 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 la. Ratings. Okay, go for it. Okay. It's a micro. It's not quite a rating. Wonderful. This episode, very up and down. <laughs> I hated some of the scenes. Typically, they involved Rattigan or units. The Hackney definitely outweighed the original there. But the last seven minutes actually were belting, and I was sucker-punched again and again once the sky had finished retconning itself. Donna didn't have much to do in this episode. Tent did okay. Martha's the clone. Meh. A lot of going through the motions. Cribbins, fabulous as always. 2.7. 2.7? Yeah. Wow. Holy smokes. Did you expect higher or lower? I did expect higher. Oh, okay. You gave part one. Do you remember what you gave part one? 3.2. Yeah, so you think this is not as good as? Yes, there were just long stretches where I thought this episode should be much better, and I increasingly dislike Colonel Mace, which I said last week, I'm suspending judgment on Colonel Mace. Yeah. He didn't win me over. Yeah, we haven't really talked about him. I'll weave this into my micro. I agree with you. I hadn't even really considered it until now. (laughs) But yes, I absolutely agree with you. He has very little in the way of persona. I can't remember if he becomes a recurring character. 
if he does, I certainly hope that they flesh him out a little bit because I, I wasn't that taken. Yeah, I mean, he had the potential to become. A, have you seen Brooklyn Nine Nine at all? No. Ah, oh, bugger. No. There's 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 the most deadpan character ever in it, Captain Raymond Holt, and he is a masterpiece of comic writing. <laughs> Okay. But Colonel Mace was not him. And he got that kiss, which was completely undeserved and just so trite and pointless. Oh, I forgot about the kiss. Uh, yes, you're right. He got the kiss. That also felt very much like the not-quite-replicant farewell. Like another element that they just ham-fist because they feel like they have to. Oh, you need to have the awkward kiss between stiff military people slash nerds. You know, the, the people who whom you don't expect to do that it just felt a little bit too cliched and it wasn't very good overall though i'm giving this a 3.6 which is exactly what i gave part one and i'm doing so because even though there are some things some parts of it that i i've already explained that i disliked there are other elements that are better in this one than in part one do tell martha is better in this one than in part one both martha and clone martha i'm gonna give them joint (laughs) credit freema all round yeah i mean she had more to do in this one more in the way of what I want her to be, sort of. I want her to be a doctor working for units. Fine, she was an imposter doing so. But she wasn't the military badass that I really don't want her to be, and that pulled her down in part one. Donna, she was good. I liked her. She was fine. No argument here. Yeah. Terrible acting in a couple of scenes, but otherwise she was fine. You know, the doctor was okay. Yeah. Yeah. Ratigan (laughs) was less Ratigan. And I really enjoyed the cringe-worthy scene where he goes, No, we're all gonna bone you. Why are you leaving the room? <laughs> you know? <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, overall, oh yeah, and the Sontarans were great. I absolutely love the Sontarans. Okay. So, all of those good things bump up what should otherwise be a lower score because all of a sudden all the stupidity of this double feature comes to a close. Yeah, 3.6. Okay, in our new rating section, that may just be your longest ever review. I think it was, yeah. <laughs> I'm really sorry about that. <laughs> Do we have any minis? We have one mini. Wow, you, I was asking rhetorically. <laughs> uh, I'm kidding, I don't know. I'm going to have to check. Oh, <laughs> oh man. Oh, you... Bastard. <laughs> we have one mini. Wow! Yes! <laughs> you, you're not still shitting me. I'm not still shitting you. Great. <laughs> Let me forward it to you. Email phone. me that sucker. Listener. Who's it from? Well, I'm glad you asked. This one is from Tracy from, from America. America. Hello, Tracy. How you doing? Waiting for a response. Very rude. <laughs> not answering. <laughs> We're going to read out your mini review anyway, but you owe us. Actually, no, you don't. You give us reviews every new now. This is yeah. This is really nice. You are on a roll. I don't have to ask, are there any reviews? No, of course not. Nobody cares. We're just talking into the void. It's completely changed how I feel about this. Not read this review yet, by the way. I wonder, do you wonder, Drew? Is it going to end on an actual rating? I know what it ends on. Oh, you son of a bitch. You're going to love it. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> All right, Tracy goes. Lots of good character moments in this one. For example, Donna's mum is seriously badass. Donna just blubbers doctor over and over again whilst mum runs in the house, comes back with an axe, and no hesitation breaks the car windshield. I felt like Donna's little moment of surprise, you've got an axe, was perhaps inspiration for later when she has to take a mallet to the Suntaran soldier. Yeah. Really good observations there. 
Yeah. <laughs> then there's the Doctor communicating with Donna by way of double meanings as she's listening in on his exchange with the Sontarans. And I really love it when he goes all MacGyver making shit out of rubber bands, hot glue and AA batteries. <laughs> That's how you build an atmospheric fire majiggy. For the entire planet. Yeah. <laughs> all right, she goes on. We see Martha showing compassion for her dying clone, then using the moment to help save others by getting information out of her. And Grandad is delightful, stealing the show every time he's on screen. <laughs> I'm laughing because I just saw the rating. Uh, <laughs> and she has included a reference tracker. 2106. Can't tell this I can do with a brigadier. No offense. I'm taken. So Alistair's a fine man, if not the best. Unfortunately, he's stranded in Peru. And 2640. Are you my mummy? Yes, which we've already soundbited. Yeah. Stray thoughts. I like the decor inside the Sontaran ship. Very trendy 3D purple box motif. Oh, yeah. <laughs> she gives it a rating of bing bong, bing bong, hey. <laughs> Spot on. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> bing bong, bing bong, bing bong, hey. Doobie 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 doo. It's like you're inside my brain. That is what it sounds like, by the way. <laughs> That's a great mini. Thank you very much for sending that in. Ladies and gentlemen of podcast land who are not Tracy, you can follow Tracy or Tracy if you want to. You can follow yourself, you know, whatever. You can find her on Twitter. She is is at Jacob That's Fountain Tracy backwards. Yes, and you can emulate Tracy by sending in a many to whobackwhen at gmail.com. Okie dokie. That's pretty much it for this time around. Next up, depending on scheduling, it may either be a new who or a classic retrospective, a bonus review, because at some point we need to go through all of Trouton. And pick our favourites. If that's not the case, what is the next New Who review? The Doctor's Daughter. Oh, uh, yeah. how weird. I'm surprised as well. Oh my goodness, it's not like we talked about this half an hour ago. <laughs> <laughs> After the bonus, there is a classic lurking. I watched it just the other day. I loved it, by the way. Spearhead from Space, the very first Pertwee. And the next audio, is there anything on the horizon there, Drew? The Cannibalists, of course. Oh, but of course. <laughs> <laughs> what on earth was I thinking? <laughs> Drew, can people follow you online? They certainly can and should. How do they do that? They follow Drew Back When on the Twitter box. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. You can follow me as well. I am at Ponk and high five me online and I will high five you right back. Thank you so much for listening. Be rad and excellent to each other, ladies and gentlemen. And ciao ciao. Hey, podcast land, keep it real. <laughs> and we are out Kablamo Did you enjoy the show? Then please do what the cosmos compels you to And spread the gospel of who back when Tell your friends Don't have any friends? No problemo Tell some strangers Like us on Facebook That's facebook.com Slash who back when All in one word Are you on Google Plus? Find us on Google Plus That's plus who back when And when you do Tell us why you're on Google Plus who back when just got its very own Twitter account? No lie, so give us a follow. You guessed it, that's at who back when, all in one word. Check us out on SoundCloud, vote us up on Reddit, listen to us on Stitcher, and head on over to our website, whobackwhen.com, where you can leave a comment, submit a review of your own, and peruse our visual index of aliens, monsters, and more, which increases in Kablamos with every episode. And lastly, give us a rating and review on iTunes. Not only would it make us super chuffed, and it really, really would, but as thanks, we will transmigrate your iTunes nom de plume into the credit list of trailers for fake Doctor Who audiobooks produced by Who Back When. 
have a poker on bonus episodes to make more sense of that. That's it. Rock on and be rad and excellent to each other. Catch your ear balls in our next classic Who review, new Who review, or <laughs> still funny audio Who review. Cha ciao. Who like when?